Hello, everyone. I'm Chloe Peterson, and this is the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast. I am joined here by Dustin Dopirak. You got it right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're doing better than that already. Good start. <laughs> I wrote it down in my notes of like a phonetic spelling. <laughs> we're here to talk Pacers with the upcoming draft and a little bit of fever. And they're not too bad start of the season. But we'll start out with um, we'll start out with the Pacers today. So Dustin, they have five picks, the most since 1987 when the draft was I don't know six rounds long, and they're mm. not going to keep all those picks, right? No, they're definitely not. At least they're going to try really hard not to. I, mean, I guess the the big question is whether they'll actually trade seven. But I mean, they're they're certainly going to want to move around. Kevin Pritchard's been saying since. January that he does not want five rookies and I mean I it, it, you know on some level I don't even have room for them um, right out of the gate obviously they could make moves to to open up space but I mean they've only got the three free agents uh, George Hill O'Shea Brissett and James Johnson and even if they let all those guys walk that's only three spots uh, certainly there's some other guys that they like to move I would think they would obviously want to move Daniel Tice just because he's been uh, they don't need that many centers and he obviously took up enough minutes from Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith already. So they're going to try to make moves to open space, but five is still too many. They're still too young to start with. They've still got, I think nine guys under the age of 24. Um, so they don't need five more guys under the age of 24 uh, to take up that roster. Um, but I think, so they're obviously going to try to move, especially 29, 26, uh, 32, um, just because those are movable. 55 probably isn't because it's too close to the end of the draft. You don't, you know, that's not really a um, coveted pick, basically, because you're figuring whoever uh, you could get there, you could easily just get as an undrafted free agent. Um, but, I, you know, the instant question now is whether they move seven, um, whether they're willing to move their lottery pick. Uh, been connected with some draft rumors out there on the Twitterverse as to whether or not they might try to push to go get an OG and Anobi. Um, and that the deal kind of makes sense to me. Uh, you know, I saw a possibility of a three-way deal that would send um uh OG to to um to the Pacers the seven pick to Toronto uh and Buddy Hill to Dallas and it would you know mix up a, a bunch of other picks in there um and that's one of those ones where I look at and out of the gate I don't know who says no um, uh, you know, for one thing, um, does right by Buddy Heald, uh, you know, would send him back to Dallas where he makes his home these days. He's from the Bahamas, but he lives in Dallas. They actually practice there, uh, at, uh, at his place, uh, basically when they played the Mavericks last, um, so, you know, that that wouldn't it be any complaints from Buddy or anybody else who likes Buddy, because it was like, if you're going to move him, at least find him a place that where he fits, both it being in his home and also put him with a couple ball handlers and Luka Doncic and um, and Kyrie Irving. I mean, there's some level of dysfunction there, but you would think Buddy could open up space for those guys uh, that gets him paid on his next contract, I would think, sets him up in a nice situation, brings the Pacers, would bring the Pacers a really good defender, which is the biggest thing they need is they need to improve on defense. They need somebody who can defend uh multiple positions as a forward somebody who could come up and switches defend guards if they have to and also defend bigger guys if they have to um so obviously i think there's a good chance they're looking if they do make the pick um they're looking at a defensive forward probably in, in jaris walker or taylor hendricks and really your goal for one of those guys is they become og ananobi so if you can why not just trade for og ananobi um so i think there's there is a chance that they don't make that first one uh i think there's certainly a, a lot of possibility they're going to move several of those I, I mean i would think three rookies is the top the top they bring in but there can be a whole lot of movement between now and thursday night and, and it, again it could involve them getting rid of that seven pick 
Yeah, I saw something about them possibly trading up, possibly trying to get Brandon Miller. From your perspective, is that anything you think is possible, or what are the odds of that? I mean, I think they would have had to ask. Uh, I mean, going into this process, I think they would have had to at least say, okay, what is it going to take? I mean, you're you're seeing less sort of smoke around that now. And and by smoke, I mostly just mean that the the, the writers that are the – Reporters that are very much in, you know, the Wojas, the Shams, you know, some of these other draft gurus that, that have intel from somewhere and you don't know what's a smokescreen and what isn't. Um, but you did see a, a lot of talk that the, the Pacers were going to at least try. And I presume they've asked at least. Um, I, and I would I would think, you know, if, if Pritchard said on the when we talked to him after the lottery, immediately after the lottery, that he thought there were um that that they were basically drafting in the third tier uh that there was the first tier was victor Wembanyama by himself um and that he was in a, a separate yeah. realm and you know which which is obvious that basically this is a guy he said you know at the time he couldn't even use his name but he said i don't think that guy will ever play in front of an empty seat um that that he will sell out every game he ever plays as long as he's in the league um so obviously he's not movable but, you know, he, he said there was probably a couple guys in the next tier. And I think he and everyone else took that to mean Brandon Miller and, and Scoot Henderson. And that seems to be clearly the case um, based on how everybody's looking at this. It's, you know, we don't know who's going to go to uh, at this point. I think Charlotte, I even saw that they brought in Miller and Henderson for another meeting. Um, and, in, and they're involving Michael Jordan, who's b- becoming going from majority owner to minority owner, selling a lot of his shares. Uh, but they still wanted him involved in it to get a better sense. It seems like it's a really Really tough call uh, on Charlotte's end. Um, so, but I did see again. I saw a lot of talk. The Pacers were going to at least try to see if they could move up and see if they could get Miller because he would be a good fit positionally. He can defend pretty well. Is obviously a really good shooter, longer player. You could see him playing either the three or the four. They really need someone to play for our power forward. So it's like if you believe that he's the highest tier, higher tier than anything you can draft, you at least have to find out. And you have the assets that you have, especially having that many picks. You at least have to find out what it's going to take, um, you know, if if it's worth the deal or not. But based on what was coming out in terms of other offers that they, you know, the, the Hornets were getting at, the Blazers were getting at three, um, it just seems like the cost is too high for the Pacers to pay if, paid if they wanted to. Um, you know, there was some talk about um, New Orleans making a push for the pick at two. Uh, and that was and they were considering Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram. I mean, the Pacers don't have anybody at that scale that they'd be willing to deal. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton is not on the market. Uh, Benedict Matherin, I mean, it, it would have to be something humongous. And it's not another rookie um, that, that for, to, for him, them to move him. So and, and your next guy kind of in draft value, as far as I'm concerned, is Miles Turner. And. You know, Miles Turner doesn't put you on par with with Ingram or Williamson as far as value is concerned. Um, the Blazers seem pretty clearly trying to move that three as as uh, if they are as they're trying to figure out if they're trying to build a team around Damian Lillard that can make a title push. Um, and I also think that that's you know that cost is probably too high. Um, you know, if in terms of what they want, I mean, I, I'd seen you know. Uh, uh, the rumors or speculation that they involved that they wanted somebody like Pascal Siakam, um, and Siakam is above anybody that the Pacers would be willing to offer. You know, it seemed like the Blazers would also be willing to tack on Anthony Simons into a deal uh, to get someone more experienced, to get somebody that's more, you know, sort of title run ready. Um, and so, again, in, in that case, if that's what they're looking for, that's not a, you know, like that's too rich for the Pacers' blood. 
basically that that's that the, those that's somebody else pushing in chips that the Pacers do not have um, as far as, you know, so if, if, again, if that's the cost, they can't do it. I would have to figure that they at least tried, you know, again, that could be smokescreen. It, it could cost a lot less. Um, you know, I would have to think, you know, if if they could get it done for Buddy Heald in the seventh, I think the Pacers would do it um, without too much of a question. But I, I think the cost is higher than that. Um so my my presume my presumption is that they have to have at least called. Uh, you know, obviously the the um, Pacers brass has connections to Portland. Uh, you know, Pritchard used to work there. Chad Buchanan used to work there. I think. Um, so both of them, I'm sure, you know, had connections to those guys and said, "So what's going to be? What do you, we got? Anything you want?" Um, and I imagine by now have probably been told this is too rich for your blood. Um, so, but it, it you know it makes sense. I mean, I don't know if they would want to move up to five. Um, to mess with Detroit because it definitely seems like Detroit has a lot of similar needs and basically whoever that whoever Detroit wants is going to they're, they're going to take off the board somebody that the Pacers want and it's a question of is it worth it for them to move up a couple spots to feel a little bit more sure about what they're getting rather than they feel like feel like they're at the mercy of Detroit's decision yeah and kind of just generally what kind of player are they looking for you said power forward but they also mm-hmm. need defense so like who what kind of player who fits that bill for him? Sure. No, I think there are, I, I really think there are four players that, um, again, if they make the pick, they're going to get one of four guys. Um, yeah. And they're really, and they're probably going to have a choice of two of them at the end of the day. And that's, you know, Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks and um, Cam Whitmore and Osar Thompson. So obviously, you know, uh, Walker from Houston, Hendricks from Central Florida, uh, Whitmore from Villanova, uh, Osar Thompson from Overtime Elite. And it, you know, to, as far as need is concerned, as far as what they're looking for, um, you know, those kind of four, those four are kind of in two different categories. And it really depends on uh, how Kevin Pritchard approaches this. And I, and I thought, um, you know, he was asked again the night of the lottery. I, I really am basing on a lot of where I think he's going to go, or what I think he's going to do on a lot of things he said that night. Um, you know, he was asked, do you, you know, do you like to draft on fit or do you like to draft the best player available? And he said, you know, I, I've done both and I've been wrong uh, both ways. You know, I, I've, I've picked the best guy available and, and thought later that I should have got, you know, picked the guy who fit and I've drafted drafted the best fit and thought I should have drafted, you know, later that I should have drafted the best player available. And I also think I've, I've nailed it on a couple occasions. But then he said, you know, I think it's seven. You have to have a high ce- a high ceiling player. And you got to remember the Pacers haven't drafted um, the, the only time that they've drafted in the top nine prior to last year when they got Benedict Mathurin at six was uh, 1989 when they got George McLeod at seven. That's the last time they picked in the top nine. So you have to view it as this is kind of a generational pick. Um, you, 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 it's a generational opportunity. I mean, you're talking about uh, almost 30 years between the time you've had to draft that high. And, and and really, you know, you look back, they had a bunch of high picks in the late 80s and, and, and that formed um, a lot of the core of the teams that became real competitors in the mid nineties through uh, 2000 when they made the finals, you know, I mean, Reggie Miller was like, I think 11th or somewhere in those, that, those lines, Rick Smith's was number two. They got Chuck per- person pretty high. Um, you know, they got a lot of players during that stretch of lottery picks that really built the core uh, of what that team became. So they have to look at this as, as you've got to nail this, this pick. Um, but I think, in, you know, all four of them have pretty high ceilings, but I think you look at Thompson and Whitmore and say, those guys, 
probably have higher ceilings and as players because they're they're bigger wings, but they're also wings that can create their own shots, uh, that can really get to the hole, that can be, uh, you know, primary or at least secondary scorers for you. Um, and, you know, that that sort of creates a much higher ceiling. And if one of those guys are on the board, I think it might be hard for them to leave them go. And there's an inc- there's a chance that they could be now, uh, you know, Thompson withdrew from a workout that possibly means that, you know, it, it's it could mean he's got a promise from somebody earlier, maybe Orlando, maybe Detroit. Um, you're seeing a whole lot of intel out there today. A lot of the draft experts are saying that Cam Whitmore is slipping, uh, that there's that he's had some so so workouts and there's a chance he could fall away to Utah at nine, which would presume that they think that the Pacers would let him pass up. And I'd be interested to see if that's the case. But it did have Whitmore in for a workout out and and at least kind of the initial thoughts seem to be that went at least okay um so we'll see if that's the case but in both of those guys when they're both very young players Whitmore is still 18 I think he's still he's turning 19 soon if he hasn't but he played his whole freshman year at Villanova at the age of 18 you know again guy who can really score the basketball really get downhill uh has been a streaky shooter but you can see a possibility of having a real high offensive upside also is just a uh, an incredible athlete you know 42 inch vertical really good defender gets in a lot of passing lanes but on as far as fit is concerned you know it's a stretch to make either one of those guys a power forward um they're both longer they were both listed at six seven i think they measured more in the six sixes uh at the combine i think Osar might have been six five and three quarters somewhere along those lines so you'd be pushing it a little bit to play them at the four uh also has got a big old wingspan where he's like seven foot um, so it, it's possible, but it's a bit of a reach and, and you would have to think, all right, if you're going to not take a four, then, then you've got to pick at least keep at least one of those picks at the end of the first, second, first round, you know, beginning of the second to make sure you get at least a serviceable power forward out of this. Um, but on the flip side, you have Walker and Hendricks, and they seem to me really direct fits of what you need. Um, you know, like really like on paper, you say, OK, what's it's it's it is putting square pegs into square holes. They don't necessarily fill those holes yet because they're 19, um, you know. Both longer guys, Walker's like six six and three quarters, but he's got a wingspan of about seven two. Really good at, at defending guys on the perimeter, can move around. You know, isn't necessarily keeping the best point guards in front of him, but um, you know, can keep a lot of smaller plays in front of him. Rotates really well, blocks shots, rebounds, does everything you know need to do on a defensive end. Hendricks is a little bit longer, a little better shot blocker. Um, does seem to be pretty good at, at keeping perimeter guys in front of him. Hendricks is the better shooter. Walker might be the better overall offensive player. Uh, you know, one of those guys could be off the board. They could be choosing between the two of them. Um, you know, if Thompson and, and Whitmore are both gone, uh, but they seem to be the more direct fit. So obviously. Um, Richard sort of could have a choice between sort of high ceiling, high floor or, you know, fit best player available. Uh, He could have a chance between two high ceiling guys. I mean, there's the chance that Detroit takes uh, Walker and and Orlando takes Hendricks and they're looking at between Thompson and Whitmore. Um, Those become riskier picks. But I mean, I, I don't think they would dig deeper just to go get a power forward and leave those two on the board. I think if Walker and Hendricks are gone, then I do think they take, uh, you know, one of Whitmore and, and Thompson. I don't think they let both of those guys go. Um, and, or it could be a situation where it's, again, it's a 50, 50 shot. It could be, you know, Thompson and Hendricks. It could be Whitmore and Walker um, where they're in that position where they are asking themselves, which direction do you want to go? Um, and, you know, uh, the good part about him is again, uh, in terms of ceiling, these are, these are all, 
18, 19 year old kids. I think Oscar might be 20. Um, so you're, you're talking about, um, you know, the, the college guys are all freshmen. You know, Oscar was, you know, played at overtime elite. And I guess he technically would have been a sophomore this year. I think I could be wrong about that. Um, but in, in, in all cases, they're looking at guys that have a lot of potential for growth, uh, that are sort of bigger, longer players um, that fit somewhere in that two to four range um, because they don't need a point guard and they don't need a center in particular. Um, but that's really where their focus seems to be. And, and again, those, there's a lot of moving parts as to, you know, what two of those four they're going to have a, cho- a choice between. Yeah, and a lot of the mock drafts say Walker at number seven. Is, is it pretty safe to say that, like, he's the front runner? For them, it's. I mean, I. Th- I, I guess I would say, if he's on the board and they're making the pick, I don't think they le- I. I. I think they take him. You know, I, I lean towards they take him, but I do think if. If it is the case that Whitmore is slipping, because where I was seeing uh, Whitmore a lot was Detroit, and and I've seen you know not just the general mock drafts, but I think even James Edwards is a really uh, good reporter who covers the Pistons for the Athletic. Uh, I think he even said that 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 what he's hearing is that Whitmore um, is that they're not as interested in Whitmore as they were. So if they're letting Whitmore go, who are they taking? And Walker fits. Yeah. You know, Walker would be a good fit there at five. Also, Thompson could be a good fit there at five. Um, and then you're looking at Orlando. If 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 Thompson's off the board, you know, do they want Walker? Do they want Hendricks? Do they want Whitmore? You know, they could go in each of those directions. Do they want Anthony Black? I mean, I think that's another possibility. Is they could go, uh, you know, with the point guard and, and leave three of those guys on the board. Um, so there's a there's a lot of moving parts there. I mean, again, I think there's a good chance that, you know, I I lean towards if Walker's on the board, they take him. But oh. there's a real possibility that Walker's not on the board. Um, and so, you know, but I, I could see a bunch of different directions. I, I really think if you stare at Walker and Hendricks long enough, you can convince your, you can talk yourself into both players, um, you know, especially because it, it does seem like Walker has so much high offensive upside, but I don't. Hendricks is so much further along as a shooter and for guys at that position it's just it's it's increasingly important that you be able to shoot the ball and Hendricks can really shoot it from a lot of positions um you know I, I think is one of the more underrated guys in this draft and it does seem like the entirety of that top 10 is seeing Hendricks as, as a real uh possibility and I'm sure the, the the Pacers are taking him very seriously so again if, if it's between those two Eileen Walker um, and you know, I, he, again, if he's on the board for anybody, Eileen Walker, but I think if, if Whitmore is not on the board, if they, if the Pistons don't want Whitmore, then I kind of see that, see him the favorite at five. Yeah. And kind of moving down past number seven and out of the lottery, like what do you see them doing with their other four picks or the other yeah, if whichever ones they're going to make, I mean, I, I do think just longer wings are going to be the priority. Um, and they brought in just so many. And, and it's hard to say, obviously, what's going to be off the board, what's go, what's going to be on the board um, by that point, you know, in the draft. There's I mean, really seeing so much variance uh, in these mocks from about 10 to 20. I've seen just so many guys moving up, moving back, uh, you know, the guys that you see somewhere from 10 to 20. So it, it's hard to say, okay, who's going to be on the board there? Um, but it really, when you looked at who they brought in and who they certainly seemed focused on, it was just so many guys from about 6'5 to 6'8, 6'9 that could play the three or the four, uh, that that can defend multiple positions, could at least shoot it a little bit, weren't necessarily great knockdown shooters, but pretty good ones. Um, you know, guys that stood out to me that, that, that names I've seen higher 
higher up than others would be Ryan Rupert from uh, who's been playing a French player who's playing in New Zealand. Um, Olivier Maxence Prosper, I think I'm getting his name right. Uh, Adam Marquette, man, he's so long. I mean, just 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 getting a chance to talk to him, and a great personality, but just arms forever. And so that that really sort of uh, helps a guy who might be six 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 seven play a lot bigger. I think that he had like a 7-2, 7-3 wingspan, huge uh, vertical leap that he showed at the combine, was a really good defender at Marquette. Um, you know, he could be an easy kind of plug-and-play guy uh, that could defend a bunch of bunch of positions. You know, anybody they take there's probably coming off the bench, but it just matters if you could bring off someone like that can that can – guard a lot of different kinds of people. Um, you know, Colby Jones was another one at, at Xavier was more of a guard type, but also could probably, you know, defend your twos and your threes. Um, man, there's so many. Um, Mojave King uh, from G League Ignite. Leonard Miller, a bigger guy from G League Ignite, that I think is kind of a higher potential guy. Got, guy can probably play the four or the five. Um, you know, I think definitely could play the four, um, you know, just bigger wing type guy. Uh, there's going to be a lot. And, and man, I mean, it's almost got to go through the whole list. Jaime Hawkes, uh, Andre Jackson is another guy I thought that was really interesting. They got early. He's more of a two, three type, but was really critical for that UConn team, uh, defending a bunch of positions as well and moving the basketball. Uh, I, I mean, really, it's just going to be guys who fit in that mold of glue guys. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and I think they've done a pretty good job of identifying them. It's, you know, uh, one uh, Rick Carlisle said a bunch about this team, and Kevin Pritchard has said about this team that their um, superpower is connectivity, is is having a really close locker room, and just being in that group, being around that group this year, being in that locker room, could really get a chance to see that. I mean, they had a blast together. I mean, it's probably the most fun that a 35 and 47 team has ever had. Um, you know, for a team that missed the playoffs uh, by a good bit, um, and you know, they did a pretty like. Uh, so I think they're going to want somebody who, uh, fits that culture. Um, uh, basically somebody who, uh, that, that is going to be easily be able to step in, be somebody who's going to want to just do, uh, all the little things, all the dirty work. They've already got players like that in, in, in Aaron, Aaron Neesmith and, and Andrew Nemhard and TJ McConnell and guys like that. And I think they'll just try to build on that. I mean, some of those guys are going to lose eventually. I don't know if they'll, how long they'll keep McConnell, um, you know, I think they probably have to let O'Shea Brissett go. Um, but I think they're going to be looking to pick up more guys, uh, that really fit that mold. They got to get better defensively. You know, they were 29th in the league in scoring average this year. I think maybe 25th in, uh, defensive efficiency. Um, so they got to get a lot better in that way. So I think they're really going to be looking at guys who can defend and, uh, you know, guys who do the little things that, that, you know, that make good teams. Yeah. And I, think it would be safe to say they did their due dil- due diligence with I think they had like over 60 players in for 62 <laughs> yeah 62 I mean they brought in I, I guess that is a record uh for them is the most they brought in I mean it, it's been almost every day uh over the past three weeks since they got back from the combine and obviously did a lot of work at the combine as well um and yeah I mean it again it was just so many of the same guys and it does tell you there's a lot of guys that are like that um, you know, you're, you're seeing, a, I, I guess, you know, the way the game is going, obviously bigger players are being taught to shoot, um, and being taught that it's important that they guard guards. And so there's, uh, 
you know, I don't want to say a glut of these type of players, but there's a lot of them, you know, obviously which ones ultimately make it and which ones don't is, uh, you know, there are fine lines as, as to who, you know, gets in the right position, the right situation and makes the most of it. But, you know, they brought in just so many guys and any just, you know, from what we could tell on a limited basis from talking to these guys, uh, it's sharp people, you know, uh, you know, high basketball IQs, you know, good at at least presenting themselves uh, out there, you know, just seems like guys that would fit easily into a locker room and and they did i think a lot of uh work on making sure that they were bringing in the right people and 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 seeing as many as they could so they knew what they could pick i think also that they are leaving open for the possibility that a lot of these things could move they could try to um you know move up a couple of those picks and try to get another pick in the top 20. um i think they want to be ready to make a pick like that i think you know if if they have to take on somebody's picks somewhere between 32 and 55 i think they want to be able to draft in that range uh as well so i think they're they really more than even usual prepared themselves as if they had to pick anywhere from one to 60 um and had to know who they would choose in any one of those positions yeah um I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about. With I'm going to I'm going to switch it over then. I'm going to I'm going to get over to to uh you know let's talk a little bit about uh I do got to check <laughs> I got to do got to check a Nat uh Nat's texting us about um or he's texting me uh, about Tyrese Halliburton. He's super excited because uh WWE Fastlane is coming. So this is a notable moment in Tyrese Halliburton's life. Whenever whenever the World Res- World Wrestling Entertainment comes to Indianapolis, Halliburton stops everything he does. So it's exci- exciting day. If you see Tyrese walking the streets of Indianapolis, know that he is overjoyed. Uh, if, I don't even know if he's in Indy right now, but if he is, he is he is beaming with joy knowing the WWE is coming back. That man is obsessed. Uh, so yeah, okay, yeah. Obviously, let's let's switch over. Let's talk Fever because I'm I'm fascinated about where this team's gone. I obviously was kind of uh, filling in before you got on board, so I got to see a little bit of of the direction that they were taking. Um, and you know, obviously, record wise, it, it I think they're what four and seven somewhere in that range. Where are they even that far along? Four and seven. Seven, am I right? Yeah, four and seven. Okay. Now. Oh, good. I got that right. Um, <laughs> and and they are, you know, I don't know. Further along than I thought is is what I would say, but it does seem like they've made progress quickly. Even the games that they've lost have, have mostly been close. They've turned themselves around into a pretty competitive outfit pretty fast, and that's saying something considering how far below everybody else they were last year. Um, and just seems like the young young players have grown up really fast. Veterans have kind of, you know, Erica Wheeler's taken her role back. Kelsey Mitchell continues yeah. to be Kelsey Mitchell. But so uh, what are you seeing? Obviously, you picked it up, I think, first exhibition, uh, you know, first or no, it was, it was first home game, first game that counted. Um, where have you seen the growth in this team so far? How, how have you seen this this team mold together seemingly so quickly? Yeah, I think their biggest growth kind of just from teams past is they're mm-hmm. competitive in basically every game. There have mm-hmm. been two games this season where they've been out of it. It was when they played the Liberty in New York. They were down by like 20 at some point. And then this past Sunday in in Gamebridge against the Dream, they did not play well. And they were very uh, vocal about how they didn't play well on that. But every other game, they've been very competitive and like within five points for most of the game, like against the Aces. They were leading the reigning WNBA champion Las Vegas Aces for a lot of the game at in Indianapolis. They obviously lost that game at the last second, but like just the fact that they're competing is a lot mm-hmm. more to say than right. 
what they've been doing in past years. No, for sure. What I mean, obviously got to watch a little bit of how Christy Sides operates uh, in camp, and it, it certainly just seems like there's she sets a pretty high bar and, and demands competitiveness, demands defense. Um, you know, from from what we got to see. I mean, how uh, obviously there are other voices involved in, in, in there, and and and, and I, I think Wheeler's an important piece to it, and certainly the growth of Aaliyah Boston. But how have you seen this um, team sort of take? to, you know, take its identity from Christy sides in terms of the way that they play and how she's, uh, you know, set a level of accountability there. Yeah, Christy sides has changed the culture, I think, mm-hmm. of the fever entirely. Like Kelsey Mitchell talks a lot about it and she's the person who would know about it being on the team sure. for the past five, six years. She said, um, like, sides has been changing the culture entirely from what Stanley did or from... Carlos Knox has the interim, like she's making the culture of you have to flush away anything bad. Like they, on the first practice of this season, they just flushed away anything that happened in 2022, or it is a young team and a lot of new players, but the players that were there from 2022, she made sure that they just flushed away anything that happened from that Mm -hmm. five and 31 season. So I Mm -hmm. think she's really focused on, having a fresh start and then from that fresh start she really emphasizes good defense Mm -hmm. because you can't you can't win games without defense in my Mm -hmm. opinion at least for sure I think what what surprised me not surprised me um you know watching them in camp uh, I asked, you know, basically what are you know, you're going to have some tough decisions, obviously, um, as has been discussed at length with WNBA, you know, it, th- there are not a lot of roster spots and, and it's a tough situation for I mean, there are really, really good players who got cut. Um, both by the fever and just league wide. Um, I mean, you're looking at stars. I mean, I, I mean, I, just one that stood out to me was Kalani Brown with the Dallas Wings that I thought was just uh, just absolute force uh as a post player at Baylor uh got cut uh they already had Tierra McCowan but they had you know just between the two of them just two humongous post players and I thought that was going to be a strength they would want to keep um but you know there's not always roster spots to 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 stack those kinds of players um but you know for the, in the Fever's case I mean there were several really good players Destiny Henderson stands out and you know especially one that stood out to me Taylor Mikesell who was just shooting the bejesus out of the ball uh in camp um and so you're looking as they were getting closer and closer to final cut day and saying well what are you what are you going to do here um you know how, how are you going to handle this and she's you know i asked her what are going to be the, the kind of the the um defining traits you're looking for what's going to be the tiebreakers uh when you're making these decisions um and he said you know uh she said i'm sorry <laughs> She said it's going to be defense um, and, you know, basically that's going to be the most important thing. It's just going to be really important that we defend well. Um, and they, you know, again, made that cut with Tyler Michael within the last in the last couple of days. I was like, whoa, OK, they're serious yeah. uh, that they're willing to give up that good of a shooter just to make sure that the defensive end uh, is this strong. I mean, what um, what what is it they, they do so well defensively? I mean, what, what how have you seen them just what about them as a defensive unit has made them, you know, this strong in that and this fast. Yeah, I think a lot of it for them, at least, is kind of just <laughs> buying into it. They have to, you know, <laughs> know that they can stop. And a lot of it also comes from, I think, Aaliyah Boston. She, I think, just set a rookie record of like five blocks in a game or something. But 
on Sunday, she had like four or five blocks. And I think a lot of that comes from her. She has a very defensive mindset. And then that trickles down to the rest of the players. And that was something Dawn Staley, um, head coach of South Carolina, that's something she really like emphasized. Like South Carolina was known very well for its defense. And that is part of the reason I also think they kept Victoria Saxton over Taylor Mikesell because Victoria played again for South Carolina. And she was part of that just really heavy defensive mindset of just surrounding players and kind of forcing them to give up the ball. What, uh, so you mentioned Boston and obviously that's, uh, you know, she's really the story, individual story of the year. And you presume that if you get the number one pick, that's a game changing player. Um, and, and certainly, especially when somebody like Boston, where you knew, you know, really months in advance that whoever's getting the number one pick is getting her. Um, but I, I, it really seems like she's grown up a lot fast. I mean, I think, um, she really had kind of a welcome to the W moment against Tierra McCowan, you know, really saw what, you know, WNBA size was going to be like. Um, and it seemed to me like she grew up a lot just in terms of how to counter a really big player uh, quickly. I mean, just on both sides of the ball. It, I mean, it seems to me from a distance like she's just she's learning and she's kind of taking every lesson and applying it pretty immediately. What what are you seeing? How have you seen what what are some things you see her do? now or 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 ways that she's figured out the game even in the uh you know month or so that she's been a pro yeah I think she's just like she's not afraid of contact she's not afraid to just run into whoever she needs to run into to get to the basket and she's um she is not a rookie according to her teammates like after the first game of the season they said she did not play like a rookie and she really hasn't she's been um scoring over 10 15 points a game other than I think one of her big regular season welcome to the W moments was playing Brittany Griner um when the fever or when the mercury came to town because I think that was one of the only games she's really struggled she only had four points she got into foul trouble had to sit a lot against Griner but that's also against a kind of prolific center and Boston has And Boston took that as kind of a learning moment. So I think one of the big things is whenever she goes up against someone like Brittany Griner or other players like that, like Shakira Austin, she always takes that as a learning moment. And she always makes sure to look at what did she do well against them? What did she do wrong? And she takes that as a learning moment in order just to make sure whatever she did wrong doesn't Mm -hmm. happen again. Yeah, it's I mean, it when you see some of these players, um, it, just everybody at that players at that level, basically, uh, when you know they're going to get targeted for one thing. I mean, I mean, I think she obviously sh- showed up from day one knowing, OK, they're going to try to take it at you and, you know, they're going to they're going to presume that they can shut you down. They're, a lot of their focus is going to be to try to uh, make this seem harder to you than it than even than it is basically just to just put a lot of force in, in terms of slowing you down. Um, and it just seemed like just in the course of a, a game, she just really learned how to use her body, you know, what, what it was going to take um, to get the edge, you know, especially against McCowan. It's just, it, it, McCowan just had her really, uh, you know, it was getting in her a lot of foul trouble. She had to figure out how to get past that. 
when you're dealing with it with a bigger player and but it just seemed like you, you sort of saw the wheels turn in the course of a game and say yeah. one trip down all right we'll try this it didn't work all right well don't do that again uh try this you know take some take when you're dealing with a bigger player take them further out force them to guard you further away from the basket you know rather than uh try to just go straight at them because i mean there was times with mccallan it really seemed like she was just running into a brick wall um so it's like well don't keep running into the brick wall find a way around it um so that that i think is amazing i mean what's she's i i mean she's also just entertaining i thought i mean as just it it, as the sunniest personality you can imagine i mean what's it been like just so far just to cover her um you know i know you have obviously covered great players at iowa saw caitlin clark up close have seen a lot of these players up close because of that um just what's it been like just to see her at the beginning of her career yeah, I think like basketball knowledge wise, personality wise, Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston are very similar. Like they're not afraid to say in post game press conferences, like what they did wrong and like what the team did wrong. And like even Boston as a rookie, she's not afraid to say like, oh, yeah, I playing against BG was like not my best moment, but it was a learning experience. So she's not afraid to say stuff like that. And she's not afraid to analyze kind of what she did wrong in the moment. Mm-hmm. And she's always very um, thorough in her answers. And mm-hmm. she's not one of those people, I think, she doesn't really get visibly frustrated, or at least she does not get frustrated with the media, which is nice because mm-hmm. there are a lot of players that can sure. get frustrated. But she's mm-hmm. one of those people that will always like, even if you do kind of ask a question she doesn't mm. like or she thinks is dumb, she will still answer it to like in a respectful way, which is kind mm. of nice as a reporter. <laughs> yeah. No, she seems to have fun with it. I mean, I, I think she's yeah. she seems to embrace the public facing uh, mm-hmm. part of the job, which is a big deal um, you, you, because you're, you're going to have to deal with a lot of it, especially uh, as a player of her caliber. You know, she's going to have to be the face of um, of the team of the league within the city, uh, basically, as far as just getting, um, you know, it, it fans in the state, you know, in Indiana to not only embrace the fever in general, but dub, uh, the fever, but WNBA basketball in general. Um, you know, she's she's the draw. She's somebody that's, that's bringing people in. Um, and she, I think, has a sense that, OK, well, to do that, you have to high, hold yourself to a high standard in terms of your public appearances, whether that's in the media uh, or other public facing things. And But but just she does always seem to have fun with your answers, with, with your questions and being she takes them really seriously. Uh, and, you know, she has fun with them when she can. Um, and so I, I thought that was kind of impressive. And I, I, I imagine it's probably go, she's going to be able to maintain that. It will get difficult uh, what, as they lose games, as, as there's more growing pains and whatnot. But it does seem like she's embraced that pretty well. What um, on, on the other side of the spectrum in terms of age is concerned, uh, how have you seen that Miller or that Erica Wheeler, Kelsey Mitchell dynamic uh, work as they've gotten back together? I, I think obviously uh, a few years ago, obviously that was the backcourt, you know, back, back in 2018 where they had a, a team that, that was showing some level of promise, but obviously Wheeler went in a different direction. Uh, and, you know, Kelsey obviously has continued to grow even even as the fever were struggling. She was, you know, really carrying the team as much as she could. How have you seen that dynamic work? Uh, what's it been like to see those two work together again? And, and how do you think that's kind of help them get where they're going yeah I think both of them are kind of just like quiet like they come off as quiet on the court but when you give them the ball they're going to make waves especially with Mitchell 
She mm-hmm. kind of is someone who doesn't draw too much attention. All the attention usually goes to Boston whenever she has the ball. But when you give it, when you give it to Mitchell, she can make those plays like that play against um, against mm-hmm. Chicago for their win against their last second win against them the other week. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Mitchell and Wheeler, they've kind of they have a chemistry on the court that kind of has helped the fever just settle down, especially with the young team. So you have Boston, who's a rookie, you have Hull, who mm-hmm. is in her second year, and then you have Melissa Smith, who's also in her second year, kind of making up the rest of the starting roster, or mm-hmm. not the starting roster, the starting five. And then you have those two in the back, and they're kind of just calming everything down. So like they don't get too heated, they don't um, they know how to control their emotions on the court. So when something doesn't go wrong or when something goes wrong, they mm. know what to do. They have that experience and they're obviously with the fever and Mitchell's been with them the whole time through their immense struggles. And then Wheeler left, came back, but they're mm. kind of been through it before. So they help calm team down and like them being together helps calm each other down too. What uh, you mentioned, Alyssa, that's one other person I wanted to ask because about because obviously she was number two pick last year. Um, you know, the versatility of her game, uh, you know, seems like it goes such a long way. She can beat you from inside, beat you from outside. And it seems like she's really found uh, a foothold this year, um, you know, so far. What it, it's had some big time games already. I mean, just how have you seen her uh, grow as a player as well? Yeah, she's really commanding a lot more attention than I think she was last year. She has like four or five triple, uh, not triple doubles, double doubles already on the season. And she had like a career high 30 some point game as well. So she's really kind of holding her own now in when she's more comfortable, like she knows what to do and she knows how everything works now, which I think is a lot of it just getting comfortable because a lot of your first season in the league and kind of anything it's like you just need to get comfortable and know what you're doing and now she knows that and she can just focus on playing and playing well and that's kind of reflected in her game because she's gotten to be a lot more valuable of an asset throughout the first 11 or so games all right last thing was just to put you on the spot is this going to be a playoff team i don't know they're they're ninth right now the the playoff margins for the WNBA are like not too high. You can get in with a losing record, but I'm I'm really not sure right now. I right now I would lean toward no, and like they're gonna they're obviously gonna improve from last year. They're gonna be I think they're gonna at least be a 15, 10, 15 win team. But I guess the question for that is, will a 15 and 25 team get into the WNBA playoffs um right now I'd lean towards no I'd say maybe next season when like Boston Smith Hull all have a lot a little bit more experience and they can maybe add someone someone else probably not Caitlin Clark but (laughs) yeah maybe someone like uh Haley Van Lith or Angel Reese who uh, depending on how they fall in the draft Mm. um I think with like one more addition like one more high level addition next year they would be a pretty solid like contender to make it in the playoffs but this season I don't think they have enough experience with their starting lineup to they'll be on the fringe I think they'll be ninth or tenth but I don't think they'll have the the chops right now
just this that that was a big step if they're in a position yeah. where they're close uh that would that would obviously be a lot further along than last year because they were not close a year ago and, and if they could put themselves in a position where they can get one more lottery pick uh obviously that that puts them in a in a much better place than they were a year ago um so all right we're gonna leave it there uh obviously a lot going on uh this week to check out obviously the fever continue going but draft night uh is what are we are we're a little bit more than 48 hours away uh, from knowing, first off, if the Pacers will take that number seven pick and if, and, uh, if so, who they take with it. So uh, so stick with us uh, and uh, come check out all, all of the coverage can be at IndyStar.com. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks.